You're listening to a podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books. Here we are in beautiful Luna Park in Sydney at a fabulous conference um, run by the Australian Society of Authors. And I have met up with the most intriguing writer that I'm delighted to introduce to you today. And um, this is Virginia King. Hi, Suzanne. Virginia, I've done a little bit of research on you and um, I've downloaded your books and they look really, really exciting. And uh, I I read all about you too online. You're all over the internet, which is really, really fabulous. And as our emerging writers know, that's a really important thing to to be in as many places as possible. Yes, as visible as possible. Absolutely. But Virginia, you've got a very interesting background. So uh, I know you came from the teaching world. Yes. And then you stumbled into the world of publishing at a... Coffee meeting. Do tell us about that. <laughs> yes, it's one of those things. I'm not sure if it happens anymore when I left teaching and I was unemployed and I was looking for a new what career. What did you teach, by I, was, I taught infants and primary teaching. A primary yes, teaching. So I'd been right. teaching for 12 years and I'd burnt out. And I was looking for... <laughs> We've done that. <laughs> so I was on the unemployment queues for about a year and I, I did a few different things. I tried some telemarketing and I, yeah. I ran some peer support workshops and so I wasn't just sitting at home but I was sending letters out furiously. This is back in the days pre-internet. Yes. And um, my neighbour said, oh, why don't you come down and have lunch with me one day? And while we were in the lunchroom, it was one of these places that where there were several companies and there was an actual cafeteria there, we would just happen to be in the queue and my neighbour said to me, oh, you must, she saw a publishing manager and said, oh, you must, I must introduce you to my neighbour Virginia and the publishing manager's going, why should I be meeting her? <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was just, just one of those things. We got chatting over lunch. She was looking for an assistant. Um, she asked me if I could type and I said, ask me this the same question next week and I raced off and did a, a five-day type crash typing course and I got the job as her assistant. Um, you see this already tells me that you are a proactive person right. and that's the kind of writer that makes it in this world, okay. really, proactive. Okay. And so she hired you as her assistant and then uh, something tragic Yeah, she happened. actually she actually died. Um, was which it was an accident? no, no. She had cancer. Um, yes, and she was only in her early forties, and uh, so it was very tragic. And um, must have affected you. It was. It was yes. And I, I, um, yes. Actually, the night she died, I had a dream that she'd that I'd got her job, and that right. she'd come in after I was sitting at her desk and said, oh, "I knew you were waiting for me to die." Oh, no, that's <laughs> a nightmare. Yes, it was a nightmare. And I woke the next morning and found out she had actually died that night, so took myself off to the counsellor. Oh, my goodness. And, um, yes, but the, the boss waited. He waited a few weeks before he came and said, did she teach you her job? And she hadn't actually. She'd been very protective even when she'd been sick. She um, didn't really teach me what to do. She, she produced audio tapes, yes. reading uh, read-along books for kids, and uh, so I was really very much just her assistant. Right. Um, and so he said to me, did she teach you to do what she did? So I lied. I said yes. 
<laughs> and again, just like the typing. Just, you just <laughs> exactly. And then I just, I actually, I actually went into the into the toilets and vomited then, um, oh <laughs> because it was very scary. But what an, um, what an entree! Yeah. <laughs> so, it, but it, I rang all of her people who worked with her and said, "Help!" And um, you know, it was a bit of a mm. bit of a steep learning curve. So I've I have been used to learning curves. And then I, I for five years, I for five years I did I produced audio read along audio tapes for kids books. Right. Mm. Nice. So that's how I got into so, publishing and writing. I started yes. writing myself then. Yeah. Yes, children's children's books. books. And how many children's books did you write? Over fifty. <gasps> mm. Oh my goodness! Yeah, for for kids between the age of five and twelve. Right. Yes. And they, are they all still out there? Some of them are still in print. A lot of them are still in schools. In fact, I had a little boy came up to me just last week and said, is this you? He brought it oh. home from school to read and uh, there was my name on it. And I said, yes, that's wow. one of my books. So they're still out there. That's yeah. really good. And, and mm. who published those books? Because self-publishing wasn't around then. No, was that's it? right. And I wouldn't even have thought of it then. I... Mm. I um, it, they were published by a lot of different publishers, actually. I'm mm. probably about maybe as many as eight publishers. Right. Um, some in America, some in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. So Obviously, you're a good writer because, um, you know, publishers, it, it's hard to get your first book published. But, but having your foot in the door, I think, and, and having some talent, yes. <laughs> that really helps. I must say, my, the first book I wrote was... You know, they just, because I gave it to somebody I worked with and she just said, oh, this is rubbish. And I must, you know, I mean, she was very, very um, you have clear. You can't be precious, no, can you? No, and I think, I think we all go through that. We all go yes. through having to look at rubbish and say, yes, that's rubbish. And that doesn't mean you can't do something better. Mm. It just means you've got to get through... And when I was running workshops for children, I used to um, I draw two boxes on the on up on the whiteboard. I draw a great big box and a tiny little box, and the big box was the terrible stories box, and the little box was the great stories box. And that's and about how it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I said to the kids, true. "You've got to fill the terrible stories box before you can start filling the the great stories box." That's a great thing yeah. to teach them. I think yeah. that's. And it's it's the same for adult writers. I think you know you do have to you have to and you have to be prepared to write rubbish because you've got to push through the rubbish to get to the good Mm. stuff. And you have to be prepared to listen to a good editor. Correct. Um, they're your best friend. Yeah, yes. and they, they'll, hopefully, they'll tell you the truth, but in a way that you can hear it. You want someone yes. honest. You don't yes. want a yes person. Yes, that's mm. right. And that's, um, and that's a very important point too. So, but the books you're writing now, no, before we get there, I want to mm-hmm. ask you to explain um, to the audience, because you said yesterday, and I read a really interesting article about this, you said yesterday that you're a panzer. I am a panzer. And uh, as, as opposed to panzer, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> a panzer, P-A-N-T-S-E-R. Do tell us how you found out you're a panzer right. and what the alternative is. Mm. Well, the alternative to a panzer is a plotter. And that's someone who plans their book before they write it. And, I mean, there are various degrees of, well, you know, at one end of the, of the spectrum you've got the plotter who plots everything, mm. writes character Graham profiles. Simpsons, Graham Simpson's in that category. Okay. I interviewed him right. and okay. he's definitely a plotter. A plotter. Mm. 
you know, they, they write character profiles for all their characters. They know exactly what's going to happen when they shape the story in the planning. Um, and then it comes from a screenwriting background. Okay. I think yes. that's probably, if you're a screenwriter, screenwriter. you'd be more a plotter. You, you would, because mm-hmm. there is, there's a swell, mm, I think... Well, certainly for me, Panzer, uh, uh, like I think I'm probably right at the very far end of Panzer, where I, where I, I fly by the seat of my pants. I have no idea what book I'm writing. So the, my first book, The First Lie, which is yes. a psychological mystery. This is for adults now. I don't write yes. for children anymore. I sat down. I wanted to write a book. I had no idea what it was going to be about, and I sat down at the keyboard and I just waited. And then one sentence came, and I typed that sentence down, and that do was. Do you remember that sentence? I do. Now? I do. Tell us. The first sentence was, "All she had to do was jump." Beautiful. It's a hook, <laughs> and we've talked on this show about hooks uh, on the um, uh, radio podcast uh, that uh, hooks are really important. Yes, and that's a really good one. It's short. Yep. But it wants you, you know, it makes you really yes. so, yes. so that's fabulous. Well, and it was, it actually applied to me because I had to jump as well. I had to dive into the book. Mm. Um, and I get this sense that there's a little bit of um, karma in your life and, and there's, a, there's a spiritual side. I read this uh, somewhere in one of your interviews where you said that uh, you were looking for locations around Sydney and, and you ended up, all the locations you thought that would be great for the book you ended up in tears because you couldn't feel it. You yes. Couldn't. So there's that sensory side of you, isn't there? There is. Tell us, tell us a bit about well, how you came up with the location. Yeah, I think um, in, in there's a, a book called A Novel in a Year by uh, Louise Doty in the UK. And um, I was working my way through that book and she said, look, if, you, if you're... If you get a bit stale on the book you're working on, and inevitably you do have stale patches because, you know, it takes a long time to write a book, she said, pick up your camera, off you go, visit all the locations with your camera, and, you know, you'll get re-energised. And so I, I live in the Blue Mountains now, so it took me, it was a whole day to do all the excursions around Sydney to Waverley and to Manly and to Gladesville and all the places that I thought my main character was you know, the, the story was unfolding in those locations and they just did not, nothing resonated with me. It was really, they didn't speak, they to, didn't speak to me and I, oh, I got home and I was just, instead of being energised, I was absolutely destroyed. And I thought, oh, you know, does that mean it's the end of the book? You know, I just thought I can't go back to that book. It's just not working at all now. Like it, I felt even worse than I'd felt before I started. And that was when I thought I have to, I have to do something, I have to jump again. And so I don't know why I picked Hawaii, I just picked Hawaii. I thought I dropped her in, I had her running away from Sydney, so she's yes. still a Sydney girl. Um, yes, so, so uh, you know, thinking about the things we've been talking about at the conference, it still makes you an Australian author writing about an Australian character, yes. even though uh, she's travelled, but, you know, we know lots of Australians travel, so well, that and really fits, doesn't well, it? Well, it was really interesting, actually, because I thought, oh, she's won a green card, and mm. I actually was at my stepson's wedding um, in South America, and my new daughter-in-law's sister flew in from New York, and she had won a green card. Australian girl who won. She said, "I'm, you know, I'm working in New York. I won a green card." And I said, "Oh, the main character in my book won a green card." So, you know, it's it's yeah. people do win green cards. So my main character 
I dropped her in Hawaii. Yes. And and then there's all this everything. Myth. Oh. I downloaded. You must go to um, the website and download the free report that Virginia's got on mythology. You're quite quite a learned mythologist. I, I am. <laughs> and this has come into the book. It has so, come into the book. It's interesting actually yeah. because my main character is called Selkie Moon. Selkie is her first name, and her mother was in love with the Celtic myth about the Selkies, the seals who come out of the sea and peel off their skins and dance in the moonlight on there's human bit, legs. There's, there's a bit about this in the, in the free download. What's the <laughs> URL? Tell people. It's called selkiemoon.com, S-E-L-K-I-E-M-O-O-N.com, Selkiemoon. Yes. And you subscribe and you'll get this this interesting uh, little uh, PDF that, that, yes. that she's got all these myths in. Yeah. So very interesting. How long have you been interested in this? Well, when I was working for the children's publisher, actually, I got to work with Claire Scott Mitchell, uh, who was an expert in um, traditional stories, fairy tales, folk tales from around the world. And she put together a collect some collections Mm -hmm. that we were publishing and I got to work with her and she really turned me on Mm -hmm. to myths and legends and folk tales Mm -hmm. and fairy tales and I started I actually started collecting versions of the selkie myth I've always loved it about the seals and then there's a lot of rich stories in these mythologies I know that um, David Malouf one of his uh, books that he's written is one of my favourite called Babylon and um, uh, gosh it's it's you know, it's all about that, that mythical, uh, historical, right. you know, mix of, of, of he's brought it into. I haven't into read it. His, okay. Yeah, it's, it's ah, really I must have a look. Um, yeah, a lot of authors do uh, do write stories around myths. Well, mm-hmm. you know, um, Kate Forsyth, who we've met yes. here at the conference, she's, yes. you know, her latest book, The Beast's Garden, of course, mm-hmm. is, is Beauty and the Beast mingled with, you know, the, the Third Reich. And yes. I haven't read it yet, but... Um, interesting premise, isn't it? I uh, read the back cover yesterday. Right. And, uh, yeah, very interesting premise. I mean, these are the things that make your books um, more than ordinary, above ordinary, you know? It's, it's true. It's and that differentiation. And what I, that's what I love about being a pantser, actually, and why I could never be a plotter, is because things happen to me when I'm not plotting things just happen to me and things go really deep in my book and I could never have thought of it I could never have planned it ahead so for example um, I don't want to give too much away but um, at one point when I was writing when I dropped Selkie in Hawaii and lots of mythology started to come up yes. and um, of course you had to have a tax-free holiday to Hawaii <laughs> <didn't you? laughs> unfortunately I haven't had one yet but oh, um, right. I must say I've the second book is set in France and I've spent three uh-huh. different long periods in France and I have yet to speak to my accountant about whether I might be able to uh, do anything about that. about that. And I read on your blog that you actually start your day by listening to the French news, which is very impressive. Oh, um, I, in a previous life I taught languages and French was one of them and okay. I could never, it, it was out of the five languages I speak, French is the one that was difficult for right, me okay. and I could never understand the news because they speak so fast oh, and right. it was very I could understand the gist of it right. but I could never quite conquer it 
like no. I did with German. Okay. Um, but so I take my hat off to you. Oh. And uh, so there are French influences in the second book. There are. Well, mm-hmm. what with the first book, I same character. Same character. She's yeah. yeah. She's on a um, same issue. Uh, she she develops and. Oh. So what I'm asking is, yes. can you read the second one before the first, or are you? Would you recommend reading? The I first? would recommend reading them in order, but um, so a reviewer has said who's read both of them. She thinks, and I, I worked very hard at because some people will come to the series yes. starting with the second book. So um, I was very careful to not give anything away from the first book, or very yes. little, give very little away. Be a spoiler. Because no, exactly, because and it's it's it, tricky that yeah. actually. Um, and but but it's important because when people love your book, what the next thing they do is look for the any other book you've written. Yes, and that's what we all do when we find the that's writer right. that we love. Yes. So, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I, with the second book, um, after playing with Hawaiian and Celtic mythology, and I mean, my editor said to me, gee, Virginia, she said, you know, you've got an Australian girl, she's in Hawaii, she's got a Celtic name, you know, how are you going to get all this to work? And I, she said, it's a bit of a mishmash, and she was right. And so I started to really play with it then, to think, how can I make this work? And that was where... Um, I've created a fictitious beach in Hawaii called Bantry's Bluff, which is named after Bantry Bay. Um, and of course, there's a Bantry Bay in Sydney as well. Wonderful. So I tied it's everything in. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I created connections, and that's what I love about being a pantser, is that connections pop up that you can't plan. I think you can't plan them. So, for example, something came up in the book about the siren song, a siren song. And I, of course, the sirens are from Greek mythology. So, um, and then I went looking, I thought, is there anything in Greek mythology that I can weave in here? And, you know, even my editor thinks it works. So, um, and then when I what happens too is I'll the way that I write is something will just pop into my head and I put it straight into the manuscript, even if I've got no idea why I'm putting it there. And sometimes it will bug me for weeks. I'll keep reading it and thinking, what is that doing in there? And I have no idea. And then I'll wake one morning. I keep a notepad by the bed in that that dreamy part of the you know. In fact, Kate, when your brain waves exactly so, that yeah. alpha, alpha waves. Alpha Kate waves. Forsyth's written about that in her recent blog post. That's what she does too. That's how mm. she got the idea for the Beast's Garden. She that really is. kind of exploits those dreamy states. Mm. I will wake and something that I wrote weeks ago will a connection will pop into my head and suddenly there that link the connection will be there and it's just. A breathtaking. I just love That's it. So wonderful. <laughs> Obviously, you're you're absolutely um, in the flow in psychology. Uh, you know, Chick Sant Mihai is a psychologist who who um, talks about the theory of flow. Right. And, and okay, writers yes. writers of substance, I, uh, substance I find are exactly in that state that you're saying. Um, you know, where you can um, write through the night. You, you lose time. When you're writing and you're you're immersed in your book, and it seems to yes. me that that's exactly what happens. That you. does that does happen that's to fabulous. me. I mean, it's not always in flow. I had it. No, I had an no. experience in the second book where a, a character turned up, 
and I had I just sent the first few chapters I'd only written about four chapters and I sent them to my editor and she said oh she I said you know what do you think about the beginning of this she said look I really don't think that this character is working very well I don't really believe that she would be like that mm-hmm. um, anyway I went back and honestly I wrote that she meets up with Selkie this character I thought how I spent pages mm-hmm. trying to decide what kind of a person she was and that doesn't actually work for me you know I did try that on paper and 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 trying to work out what her motivation was and so on and that really doesn't work for me I had what I did was I wrote that dialogue between Selkie and this other woman I wrote it probably about 20 times every time I let let them say what they wanted to say rather than what I wanted them to say and I followed that conversation sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't work sometimes I liked a bit of it you know and it was like oh and I I actually put on twitter you know spent a week on the one scene something's got to pop i hope it isn't me uh, <laughs> and finally i got there and it was quite interesting even i always keep everything that i write I, you know the scenes that i reject i keep them and even right at the end in the copy edit where there was a remark made at the end of this famous conversation between these two women my editor said i don't actually think that works this last little remark at the end and i went right back to the very first scene that i wrote the one that she thought wasn't working and there was one line in there which i thought oh that's perfect i pulled it out and i it finished off what was now a you know a scene that i'd rewritten 20 times wow. so and it's just and i've had a few people now because that second book's only been out for a couple of weeks yes. but but people like that character i thought she ended up being a much more realistic character i was yes. making her too kind of stereotype yes. to begin with yeah. and um I love and that. Do you love your protagonist? How do you feel <sighs> about I do love my protagonist. Does she annoy you sometimes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the mark of a true writer when they they actually She I had one one friend who read the book and she said oh she said I can hear you sometimes in there yeah. and I but she's not me um no. for a start she's younger slimmer yeah. and um <laughs> and more interesting uh but she does things that I don't like and I I mean that's one of the things about being a pantser that's why I think I could never be a plotter is because I worry that plotters tell their characters what to say um and i i think you can be i think you can shape a story and then let you care, give your characters their head there's somewhere between the two you don't have to well, be well i think i think it's a matter of doing what works for you because um you know i think uh you know i mentioned Graham Simpson and i think that he uh, he is a plotter but i think he also uh is very involved with his characters so so i think i think there's a bit of both and perhaps in yes. in in even in pantses i think there's a bit of plotting yes we you know perhaps not planned plotting no but you know you just mentioned how you went to a previous scene and pulled out it so that's a plotting sort of uh, moment yes you know i mean i think what i say is the difference between control and judgment so what i do is i don't control the story but i use my judgment like i'll write something and i'll think i mean i might just 
let a scene go and I just keep writing, writing, writing and then I might cut half of it out afterwards. So that's the judgment coming in later that, that, that it's a bit too much description or it's a bit, um, uh, that it's gone off the rails a bit. Uh, so, and I think, I mean, a lot of people say, because Stephen King, of course, is a famous pantser. He's really dead against plotting. Yes. And some people have said, well, his that's... Book, his book called On Writing mm. is still, I think, the best book on writing mm. on the planet. Mm. I haven't found one better. It's very, very... Um, it's a simple model to follow too, which I like. But he's dead against plotting. You know, yes, he thinks it's he says right. it's the dullard's last option or something. Um, <laughs> but he, a lot of people have said of him, well, that's because he immersed himself in stories when he was young, and so he knows the shape of a story. Yes. And I think I wasn't a big reader when I was young. I didn't have. I mean, we had books, but you know, I'm not like. I didn't start writing until I was in my, you know, my th mid thirties. Yeah. Um, so I haven't got that whole background of, you know, I read every children's book when I was a child, all that sort of thing. Not at all. But I do think you do get a bit of an innate sense of of what works. And also, you use an editor. My editor does a structural edit. Well, that's she right. pulls. She'll say, "I think we'll move. I suggest we move this scene over mm -hmm. here. I think this is too long." I mean, she mm -hmm. she'll she'll mark out. Great slabs of my book and write padding in with a question mark, and I say padding. That's fascinating background. What are you talking about? You know, and then whoop, out those it comes. Look, those you know. professional conversations are really important, and you've obviously, you know, I, the, the listeners know that we need a really, really fabulous book cover and an excellent editor as the two basic principles of your yes. book. And. Um, I'd like you to address now about the notion of self-publishing because you chose that route, which I, did. I absolutely applaud. <laughs> so tell me how you made that decision. Hmm. I did send the book off to some publishers and um, I had some rejections. Um, which is part of the course. Part of the course, exactly. <laughs> um, and I did have one publisher who was interested um, but I went and had a look at that publisher's website. Um, I didn't like the way their books were being presented. I didn't like their covers. I then bought a book from an, uh, that they'd published a new author who, in a similar genre to me, and I found her book completely unreadable. I could only I got in, I forced myself to get to the third chapter, and I thought my editor would have cut out the first three chapters. Mm -hmm. So I knew that they weren't really doing a lot of editing um, I didn't like and I suddenly I had this huge flip you know normally you're on bended knee begging someone to publish your book and suddenly I thought hang on a minute I don't want them to publish my book they might be interested in it but I'm not interested in them so there was a flip and I think it's an aha moment it is an aha moment and I I have a background in publishing. We haven't talked about that, but yes. I actually was a, had a little publishing company in the 90s right. and I won a National Business Award. Um, I was publishing books written by children at the time. Right. Um, but I, it was after five years I realised I didn't want to be a publisher. I actually wanted to write a novel. So yes. I was lucky that I had some sales from my children's really books. Does it's, it, too, it gives me... Yes, I'm, a, I'm courageous. You know, I'm not... Uh, I'll just dive in. And so with the whole social media thing, when I started uh, publishing, published my first book um, in 
only last year, 2014, the first lie was published. Um, I had no social media presence and I've been very resistant to Facebook. And um, so I've had to dive in. I've, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I sent off to various blogs with guest post proposals. I've been extremely successful because I always write quirky, quirky he you headlines. Do. You do. Um, so I've, I've had. Virginia's a very skilled writer, and you only need to read her about me page to realise that she's quirky and, and, and wonderful. I look forward to reading your books so much. Um, I would love to talk to you forever, but we're running out of time, and um, we do need to go to the next session for, <laughs> for this wonderful conference. We do. Um, so one last question for our emerging writer audience. What sort of advice would you give to somebody? Uh, what did you learn that you wished you'd known when you started? From the publishing or from the writing? From the writing, from the writing side. I think we, it's important to acknowledge that every single writer has that voice that says you're, who do you think you are, to think you're a writer. And that voice comes up all the time. I mean, I've pu published 50 children's books. I've written, uh, I've written a lot of things. I've, and I've been um, congratulated by editors and over the years as being someone who can write. And I still have that voice that comes up and says, who do you think you are to think you're a writer? And, I, and it's very normal. Do you know, there, I can't, the, the number of festivals I've been to where A-listed authors Absolutely. will still say things like, you know, these are multi-million dollar yeah. authors, still say things like, I'm waiting for someone to discover that I'm a fraud. Yes. You know, so that tells that, me the voice never goes away. The voice never goes away. I've heard Tim Winton say he's got that yes. voice. That, that voice is there. And what I think it's really important to say to that voice, well, thank you very much for your opinion. I'll call on you later when I'm doing the editing or when I'm redrafting, you can come in and tell me which, what's not working. But meanwhile, you've just got to, and, and you'll have days where that, that voice will take you over. And, you know, like the Buddhists say, this too will pass. And that voice does go quiet. So, you know, it's, it's very easy to give, to give up. Um, and I think it's just so important to thank that voice for sharing its opinion and ask it to go back in its box. <laughs> I love that. What a wonderful way to finish off. And so I'm afraid this um, little interview, this too, has passed. <laughs> thank you very much, Virginia King. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au And if you are a reader or a writer then hop on over to our website and subscribe.